How many of you wore a jersey today? I want you to stand. Wow, that's kind of a weak showing, isn't it? You can be seated. Did anyone hear a Green Bay Packer jersey? Way to go. The whole family. Thank you, Brian. God bless you. You may be seated, even though we had a lame season. It's okay. Hey, so it's Super Bowl Sunday. And how many of you actually care about what happens in the game today? How many of you could care less? Raise both hands and worship Jesus. How does that sound? So listen, what we're doing as a church family is we are processing through a sermon series based on the letter to the Ephesians, letter to Ephesians. And what most Bible scholars will tell you, and I agree, not that I'm a Bible scholar, but I agree, that the letter to the Ephesians gives us the deepest practical understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the first century all the way until today about what is supposed to happen and what God's intent and plan has been through sending his son Jesus into this world. And then people looking at Christ and understanding Christ. And then by faith, accepting him and making a choice to follow him. And so what the Apostle Paul does in the book of Ephesians is he takes us from who Jesus is and he does that through a prayer and a blessing and we're going to look at that prayer and blessing this morning. But then over the next several chapters, walks people through what it looks like in order to follow Jesus. And so what we're going to do again is we're going to read this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, some of us have maybe never read the Newer Testament. We have a lot of people who are maybe even here this morning who are kind of looking over the wall at faith and saying, well, who is Jesus? Well, it's also helpful to know who the Apostle Paul is. Paul was actually a religious leader of the Jewish movement of Jesus' day. He and others were involved with the execution of Christ in the sense of their opposition to Jesus and his message. Following the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, suddenly this guy steps onto the pages of Scripture out of nowhere. All we know is he enters into the story in the Newer Testament And when he enters into the story, he is arresting and moving towards killing Christians, followers of Jesus. And then out of nowhere, as he has a letter in his hand from the Jewish authorities and the Roman government, he's traveling to a city in order to arrest Christians. And while he's on his way, he has a supernatural encounter with a resurrected Christ. And through that encounter, the Apostle Paul becomes completely transformed. Now, one of the things the Apostle Paul does for us in his other writings, as well as in what we're getting ready to read this morning, one thing that the Apostle Paul does for us, along with other Newer Testament writers, he brings to us the vision of God for all that there is. And the vision of God is this, and we looked at this in depth last Sunday is that God, through Jesus, is going to gather together all that there is. And when he does that, he will do it through Christ. This is in the future. And through Christ, he will gather together all that there is. And everything will be made new. 
Every dysfunction, every brokenness, every shattered heart, every destroyed life, every catastrophe that has ever hit the human race and God's creation, all of that will be consumed in Christ and through Christ, God the Father will make everything new. And the Bible concludes in the last three chapters of painting a vivid picture of what the Newer Testament, the Apostle Paul and other writers call a new heaven and a new earth. And what will be new about it is this. There will be no more pain, no more sorrows, no more tears, and heaven and earth will eternally be together. There will be no more separation between heaven and earth, and Christ will be at the center of it. That's the vision that the Apostle Paul and the other Newer Testament writers bring to us. But they also tell us that it has not happened yet, but in God's irrevocable will, it will. And so now we live in what theologians call the tension of the already but the not yet. It is done because God said it will be. But now we live here, and we feel the tension of that. And we live in that tension. And many of us, because of that tension, we have questions, we have thoughts, we have things that we would like to have answered, and that even at times goes beyond the suffering that we have and the brokenness and the honest picture that the Bible paints of the world as it is now, but with the hope of what it will be like. Well, until we get there on that day when God makes all things new, and on that day, I'm going to have a body that looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Trust me. But until that day, I have this, and I have questions. In line with that, we're going to be bringing someone here to City Church on February the 17th. How many of you have ever heard of Ravi Zacharias? You ever heard of him? This is Michael Ramsden. Michael is Ravi's right-hand man, and in many ways, the heir apparent to Ravi's ministry. He preached here once before. We had him here last year where he was on grounds at the University of Virginia, and he's coming back again, and he'll be preaching here at City on February the 17th. I'm excited about that. You want to know why? He's smarter than me, like way smarter than me. And so in that, he's one of those peoples that God has uniquely gifted to answer questions and to help people process. He'll be here. Now, what I want to preach on this morning is identity blessed, that you are blessed, that I'm blessed. But it goes way beyond that because all Bible scholars will tell you is that at the outset of the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is presenting Christ in such a way that Ephesians will learn how to and understand what God has done through Christ so that their identity is in Christ and not in other things. Paul calls that blessed. But before we get to the blessed part, We need to understand identity. I read this last week, and I'm going to read it again. What is identity? Identity, according to social scientists, is this. 
Identity is described as finite and consisting of separate and distinct parts like family, culture, personal and professional things that are part of your life. Where you went to the university, like UVA. I thought I'd get a shout out there, but I didn't, so let's keep going. It also involves genetics, biology, culture, loved ones, those that you have cared for, those that have cared for you, those that you have harmed, those that have harmed you. All of these experiences, the deeds that you've done, whether they were good or bad, all of those things come together and the choices that we've made and those things develop what social scientists call your identity. Now, here's the problem. Some of us are sitting here, and your identity is based on negativity, brokenness, maybe something that someone has said to you or said about you, and that tape just plays over and over and over in your mind. And you find that when you think about who you are, when you think about who you are, there's anything but a smile on your face. But I'm here to tell you that the Apostle Paul begins the letter to Ephesians with presenting an opportunity for you and for me to have a total different identity than what the world can provide. You need it, and I need it. Ultimately, identity is this. Identity is who I am and how. I relate to the world. Now what I want us to do is we're gonna read a little bit more scripture than we normally do. I'm gonna ask that we would read together the first several verses that the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians. We're gonna read it together now and it's gonna begin in Ephesians chapter one and we're gonna read all the way to verses three through 14. Now, what you cannot tell in the English is this is one long, run-on Greek sentence. It's one thought. And what Bible scholars say is try not to breathe the entire time you read it out loud, because that's Paul's intent. It's one thought, one sentence. Are we ready? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will in accordance to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see, the Apostle Paul begins his letter with a prayer, with an announcement in that prayer of an incredible blessing that God has done for us in Christ. Again, it's very clear to Bible scholars that the Apostle Paul is presenting a new identity to those who read his letter. Here's how it begins. Here's what he writes. He writes, praise which is blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, next word, blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In other words, Paul is teaching that in Christ, you are blessed. Now, the word blessed is somewhat fascinating. It's a Greek word that is a combination of two Greek words. One is you, and the other is logos. And when you bring those two together, you get the word blessed. It's where we get the English word eulogy from. It's where when someone passes away, you eulogize them. You tell good stories and you say good things about them. But the idea is, in the word blessed, is that good words are spoken. I would say this, that in Paul's initial outset of those verses, it's not just good words, it's God's words. And we need to hear them. We need to hear them. Here's what Apostle Paul is telling us, is that you and I have an identity in the fact that we are blessed. We're blessed in Christ. Ultimately, to be blessed means this, that you've received something that you did not earn and you do not deserve. That's what it means to be blessed. Now, when I moved down here from New Jersey to Virginia, I found out there's another kind of a blessing. (laughs) Oh, bless their heart. When you first hear that, it sounds positive. It's not. It's totally negative. But it's a way of masking the negative in a positive. Let me give you an example. Where I came from in Princeton, New Jersey, let's say an employee was backing out of their parking spot and they hit their boss's Mercedes-Benz right, just T-boned it. In New Jersey, here's what would have been said. You idiot, you're going to get fired. Down south, what they say is, aw, bless their heart. It means the same thing, though. It means you idiot... (laughs) You're about ready to get fired, but oh, bless their heart, right? Now, with that, I can promise you this, 
There is one person that no one has ever said, oh, bless their heart. Never. And it's Tom Brady. (laughs) No one's ever looked at Tom and gone, oh, bless his heart. He will be playing for his ninth Super Bowl. That amazing? Not only that, his wife is one of the highest paid supermodels in the world. No one looks at them as a couple and goes, oh, Tom, bless your heart. (laughs) Not only that, she's given him a couple of kids while being one of the highest paid supermodels in the world. On top of this, I looked up his contract. No one will ever say, oh, bless his heart from his contract. This year, there's $5 million worth of incentives. His base salary is $15 million. He had a two-year extension that is worth $41 million, and $28 million of that is guaranteed. Now, what I also found out is that by pushing some contracts away, he has actually walked away from between $60 and $100 million so that other players can have more salary. Oh, bless his heart. But here's what's fascinating. Tom Brady was interviewed. And in the interview, the interviewer is firing questions, naming all these accomplishments and all the money he's made. And here's what Tom Brady said. Oh my goodness. I hope there's more to life than this. There better be more. I want you to watch. Bless his heart. You see, isn't it amazing that here's a guy that has achieved everything the world has to offer, and yet in the midst of an interview, he's asked a probing question, and his response is, I hope, God, I hope, there's more than this. What I would say to you is, there is. There's so much more. There's the reality of a spiritual life in Jesus through which God sent his son into the world so that all of us could have an identity that's blessed. But here's what I want to warn you about, and I feel so compelled to do this. It's this. There are often Bible teachers or pastors or preachers that you can click on on the television and look, there's a lot of good preaching and teaching, but there's a vein and a trajectory and much of the preaching that you can hear on certain Christian televisions or broadcasts. And it's this. It's that if you accept Christ and follow him, you'll get rich. 
I want to explain to you very carefully, that is simply not what the Bible says. It is not. In fact, I want to challenge you, if you're watching somebody preach and you notice a pattern, that all of a sudden, all of their sermons turn towards how God's going to bless you materially, I encourage you to shut them off and watch someone else. Because here's what's incredible. The Apostle Paul gives the deepest theological understanding through the book of Ephesians as to what it means to be blessed in Christ, and he never mentions money or materialism once. Not once. Instead, he talks about spiritually blessed. So here's what I want to say. Jesus didn't come to give better access to what was already available without him. He came to bless us with what cannot be accessed anywhere else. So Jesus didn't come into the world to make you rich. You can do that without him. Jesus did not come into the world to access some wealth factor that so many people tend to be talking about in Christianity today. It's not why he came. You can do that without him. What you cannot do without him is get every spiritual blessing. You can't. It's found in him. So I want to encourage you that if you're listening to teaching and preaching and it always moves toward the material things, shut it off. It's not the gospel. It simply isn't. Paul, on the other hand, writes this. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every what kind of blessing? Spiritual blessing in Christ. That's what Jesus came to do for you and for me. Now Paul does something that he often does when he teaches or preaches. He announces something that there's every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. And I want to put in this caveat. Does God bless people financially? Yes, he does. The Bible says that. But listen to me carefully. That's not why Jesus came. In the Older Testament, people were blessed financially. It doesn't take Jesus to do that. So I believe that God blesses. One of the ways God's blessed me over the years is people have given me incredible chocolate. I love fine Belgian chocolate. Nothing against Hershey or the Hershey family, but that's not it. Fine Belgian chocolate is just a little bit of heaven that God sent to earth. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Bless his heart. But you see, Jesus didn't come to give us fine Belgian chocolate. The Apostle Paul announces that in Christ, every spiritual blessing is available, and then he lists them. And here's what he writes. In Christ you are, and we read it in that long reading we had, you are spiritually blessed. In Christ you are chosen. In Christ you are forgiven. In Christ you are made holy. In Christ you are declared blameless. In Christ you are adopted. In Christ you're redeemed. And in Christ you're given an inheritance that will last forever. 
You see, Paul's terminology does have a side of money to it in that verses that we read because he said, God's richest blessing has been lavished on us. But he does it spiritually. It's not about money and materialism. It's about these things. That in Christ, I am spiritually blessed. I'm forgiven, made holy. And then the next phrase just gets me declared blameless. My goodness, there is a righteousness in Jesus Christ that I, Pete Hartwig, stands in right now where because I've put my faith, hope, and trust in him, I am declared as blameless and righteous before the throne of God. That's stunning to me. I have not earned that. I cannot buy it. It is a blessing that God has bestowed on me. But it came through Christ putting my faith, hope, and trust in him. Now, one of the things that Paul mentions is the word redeemed. What does that word mean? Paul repeats it three more times in the book of Ephesians where he talks about redemption or being redeemed. You see, this redeemed does have a money understanding. That word comes from a Roman Greek understanding where there would be a slave who was in bondage and in slavery. And someone would show up with an agreed upon price and they would pay the price for that slave for this purpose, to set them free. Redemption or being redeemed means that you are stuck in slavery to sin, dysfunction, and brokenness, and someone shows up and pays the price for you so that you can be set free. That's what redeemed means. That's what redemption means. And Paul even goes beyond that and says, look, not only are you redeemed, not only through Christ has redemption happened for you, but you are also given an inheritance. You're not just a freed slave. You are now considered as part of God's family. That in Christ, you are free. In Christ, you have an eternal inheritance waiting for you because of what he's done. Don't tell me that God has not richly blessed us through Christ. Don't tell me that God has not lavished his best on us through Jesus. You see, none of these I can do by myself. None of these I can do for myself. Each one of these I am blessed with. Now when we look at this, How do we put feet to our faith? Well, here's what Paul writes, and we read it. And you also were included where? In Christ, all those blessings that he lists are yours. You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So putting feet to our faith means this. Have I chosen to put my faith, my hope, and my trust in Christ? Have I chosen to do this? Have I made this choice? Now hear me clearly. I have been blessed in my my life so many ways. 
been blessed. I've been blessed with great genetics. I have. Now, you're going to look at me and say, I don't think that's true, but it is true. I'll go in and have my blood pressure taken, and every year my doctor asks me if I'm a marathon runner. And I'll say to him, Doc, hate to be honest, I don't think I've run in five or six years. For real? No, it's genetics, man. I've been blessed with that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's things in your life that you've been blessed with. You can't earn them. They're just there. Another way that God has blessed me is because of great chocolate. I know I keep coming back to that. But you know what? What I did was, in order to prepare for a Super Bowl party, I went to Costco and I picked up a cake and I had them write blessed on it. See that? Isn't that amazing? And when I was leaving Costco, this lady who does, you know, the, re the receipt checker, you're never sure why they're there, but they kind of look in your basket and she looked down at that cake and she said, oh yes. Oh yes, are you ever blessed. Isn't that amazing? Now here's the deal. Who wants this cake? Who wants it? Anyone want it? Come get it. You missed it. You see, the wrestler that came up was Quinn. Quinn is the heavyweight wrestler at the University of Virginia. Now, you're out on a knee injury. He's facing surgery, so he's not going to wrestle the rest of the year. But I've watched Quinn wrestle, where in heavyweight, it can go up to 285 pounds, and he weighs in at... And so he uh, ends up giving up a lot of weight, and so that chocolate cake was with the hopes that he would gain some poundage so that next time he wrestles, he'd be a little closer in weight. But here's what I can tell you. As good as that chocolate cake is, and as amazing as it is, you gotta realize this, it's not really good for you. Hate to bum you out. As good as it is, as good as it tastes, it's temporary, and in the long run, it's not really all that good for you. It just simply isn't. Now, what I would like to be able to do is hold that cake and say, you are a vegetable. You are broccoli mixed with Brussels sprouts and turnips and kale. But it just simply isn't the case. It's sugar and cocoa and flour. All of those are so healthy. They're so good for you. But listen, so often the blessings of this world are blessings that are like chocolate cake. They promise so much, but what they deliver has an underbelly to it, no pun intended. But here's what I want to say about Jesus. He's just like that chocolate cake in one way. He's real.
And what he has done for you is provided every spiritual blessing that God has to offer. But just like Quinn got up and grabbed that cake from me, you by faith must take a hold of him. He's a gift, but you have to take him. And just like Quinn did nothing but get up and take that cake from me, all he did was get present and then get up and say yes. That's how salvation works. It's when I look at Jesus and say, you know something? I can't earn it. I can't pay for it. But what I know I need to do is to say yes to him. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption, there's that word again, redeemed, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to dwell in you. And the Holy Spirit gives you the strength and the authority and the power to live a transforming life. You see, all of this is available in Christ. In him is every spiritual blessing. And my question is, is your identity blessed? Is your identity found in Jesus or in other things? Let's stand together as we close. As we stand together, I'm going to ask that you would take a moment and close your eyes. Have you said yes to Jesus? I want to encourage you to do that if you've never done this before. Saying yes to Jesus takes on the form of a prayer where you recognize that this world is broken, just like the scriptures say. But as you listen to that idea of the Bible and the Newer Testament writers that say there's a trajectory to all things, and there will come a day when all of this that is broken will be made new in Christ. Heaven and earth will come together. And there's a hope in that. When you heard that, something in your heart leapt, saying, I think that's true. Oh, God, please let it be true. You might even be here, and just like Tom Brady, you are so blessed that you've been thinking there better be something more. Dear God, let there be something more. If that's you, I want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer of faith where you open up your heart and your life to Jesus. And a prayer would go something like this. And if you'd like to pray this prayer, I encourage you to do that while I pray it. You can kind of repeat after me. But this comes from your own heart by faith towards Jesus. And the prayer would go something like this. Jesus, I don't know all that there is to know about you. No, I've heard of you. But this morning as I'm here, I believe I'm in your presence. And as I'm now in your presence, I ask that you would be the God who would redeem me, that you would pay my price for my debt of sin, that you would forgive me, 
that you would cleanse me. That in you, Jesus, I would be declared as blameless and holy before a creating heavenly Father. And then, Jesus, I ask that the Holy Spirit would now dwell within me and that I'd have an authority and a power to live life differently. Jesus, now I choose to take my identity from the things outside of you and I choose to place my identity in you. And in that, I am blessed. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.